May we turn, please, to the 46th Psalm. Psalm number 46. God is our refuge and strength. It's a very familiar psalm. We all know it. We all love it. But I thought of it tonight in connection with this issue that I've announced that I would speak on at risk to national security. And we're supposed now to take this risk to our national security so we won't be bombed into oblivion and all mankind will be destroyed by the atom bombs. And whenever you hear this line that the world's going to be annihilated, the world's going to be destroyed, the world's going to be completely blown up if we don't surrender, if we don't do this, if we don't do that. Whenever you hear that, just think of this 46 psalm, because this is the perfect answer to it, and it's in the Bible. Now look at it. God is our refuge. We're going to run to him. We're going to get cover. We're going to get protection. We're going to find security. And of course, he's our strength. My strength cometh from the Lord. He made the heaven and the earth. In a very present help in trouble. So we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. We need some help. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed. That's taking the earth out of its axis and turning things upside down, getting the old world all topsy-turvy. If that even happens, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to give up our confidence and our trust in God no matter what happens down here. It makes no difference what happens down here. This old earth can be removed if you want to talk in those terms. Take it out of its present axis, put it in some other course, blow the thing to pieces. We will not fear. And you know that all you folks are getting in your newspapers day after day is be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid of the communists, be afraid of this, be afraid of that, be afraid of something else. They're going to blow us to pieces. We better get good and we better surrender and we just better be afraid. Look at this. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried where? In the midst of the sea. Take up the biggest mountains in the country and roll them over and dump them over in the ocean. Why wouldn't that be something? I don't think any atom bomb could quite do that. But imagine picking up the mountains. We've got some big ones too in this world. And just roll them into the sea. Just take them and spread them all out. If that happens, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. God is our refuge. Now look at the next one, verse 3. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, let the old sea go to raging. Let the old waves mount up with their tremendous billows, and let them crack and moan and cry out with the roaring of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, let the waters just engulf the mountains, if you will. I won't be afraid. That's not going to scare me. That's not going to disturb me. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to put my trust in God. God is our refuge and strength. And our trouble tonight, beloved, is that we are looking at circumstances and looking at the world and we're scared to death and we're not trusting God. That's our trouble. In fact, that's our only trouble. If we just trust God, 
If we just do what God tells us to do, if we just honor the commandments of God, righteousness will exalt a nation. If we would just do that, things would be different. God is our refuge and strength. I think the 46th Psalm was written for the atomic age. It's written when they tell you they're going to annihilate us. It's written when they tell us that the mountains are going to dissolve and all the whole, everybody in mankind is going to be abolished. Then look at the rest of it. Verse 5. Oh, just look what God has. There is a river. There is a river. The streams that run shall make glad the city of God. If you want to describe that river, just turn over to the 22nd chapter of Revelation. There it is. It's the river. Shall we gather at the river? Here it is. There is a river which shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. Beloved, there's going to come a day when that holy city is going to come down on this earth and it's going to park over there in Jerusalem. Don't tell me the mountains are going to be thrown into the seas. Don't tell me all these things are going to happen. Look beyond the troubles and the disturbance and the rumblings and the clash of nations. There is a city of God out there. And it's coming. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. All the atomic bombs that all the communist world possesses and all the communist bombs that all the United States possesses, you can take the American bombs and the communist bombs and put them all together and do what you want to with them. But that city's not going to be moved. That city's going to be there. That city's going to come. I'm not afraid. Let's not be afraid. My, how beautiful this is set forth in the Scriptures. Look at verse 6. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The one that's going to judge this old earth, the one that's going to burn it up by fire, he'll take care of that when he gets ready to do it. God will do that. God's the God of judgment. He's the God that's going to deal with this earth. And there's a day coming in which God is going to deal with this earth. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Lord 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our rest. And beloved, when you have a great God such as we have, and he's given us a revelation which we have, this blessed book, and we have the knowledge of everlasting life which he's given us in the gospel, and we have Jesus Christ who is our hope, and we possess all these glorious realities which God has given to you and me, why should we be afraid of the faces of men? The fear of man bringeth a snare. But the fear of God is to depart from evil. This is understanding. This is understanding. Now I've been bringing these messages on Sunday nights, dealing with the new confession and instructing you people in these things, and I'm glad so many of you are interested. But on our, in our days, you and I have lived to see a day that has never come upon any others who walk this soil where you and I live. Our forefathers brought over to this country the Bible. They believed it was the word of God. Our Presbyterian forebears opened up their churches right down here in the eastern shore. 
right here in Philadelphia, five miles from where you and I are tonight. The first meeting of any little presbytery ever held in this country took place right over here. There were three preachers, there were just three of them. That started. And they built that church on the Bible as the Word of God. And they built a great church. It has been a great church in this country. And they laid the foundations of that great church on the Westminster Confession, the faith, and the larger and shorter catechisms, which had come out of the Westminster Assembly in 1647 and 1648, back there 300 years ago. And there's been no change in that for 300 years. Nobody's touched it. Nobody sought to modify it. Nobody sought to change the great vows by which ministers were bound in their pulpits and in their ministry to the Bible as the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Nobody sought to do anything with it until just now. Two weeks ago out in Portland, Oregon, they threw away those vows. No longer the Bible is the infallible word. No longer is there a system of doctrine in this book. That's gone. It's gone, ladies and gentlemen. It's not there anymore. Well, you and I have it. We still have it, and we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it. But it's gone. It's no more. And then they took this larger catechism. It's the largest document they have there Some. 52 or 53 pages and they threw that thing completely out. We have nothing more to do with it. And then they set up a little book of confessions back here and they said we'll bring in some of these historical records and we'll add them and we'll put the Westminster Confession back in that book of confessions and that's what they believed 300 years ago. That's fine. But now we've got the confession of 1967. We'll put it in the book of confessions too. So they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They've got this one here. This is the last one. And then we'll leave the, leave the door open. We'll leave the gate open. And so a little later, you gentlemen coming behind us, you can stick another one in there and that'll be the confession of 1977. And then you can put another one in there and another one in there and another one in there. And you just keep going. You add to it as you move along. And that's what you've got. But this isn't binding. Read it. Get an inspiration out if you want to. Get any guidance you want to. It's up to you. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it. And that's what's left of a great church. That's all. Beloved, as we stand tonight, you and I are in a church. We call ourselves Bible Presbyterian. What a name God gave us. That's the issue of our day, of our century, the Bible. We're bound to it. I'm tied to it. And we have a great creed that summarizes what the Bible teaches. And if I don't preach in accordance with that creed, out I go. And you get somebody else in here who does. We're bound to these doctrines because they are true. They are the truth of God. And they abide from generation to generation. And I cannot tell you people tonight, I cannot overemphasize I cannot possibly get across to you people, I just wished I could, the significance and the importance of what's happened during the month of May in the United States of America. 
Instead of having one hearse coming across the country, we ought to have a hundred hearses. We ought to do something to wake up the Presbyterians and wake up the Methodists and wake up the Episcopalians and wake up the rest of the people of this country to a realization that they're changing the foundations upon which the Christian church has been built in this country for 300 years. And they have been bold enough and courageous enough to do it out here in broad daylight. And they've done it. And I wrote my little book, Thank God I was given the grace to do it. And it's a record of these years and of this time that's going to go down in history. There's no doubt about it. The death of a church. There it is. And we've tried to get it out to people as fast as we possibly could. We've used every means we possibly could to get it out. And this morning when I stood at the door after the communion service, a gentleman came up to me and says, My name is so-and-so, Dr. McIntyre. Somebody mailed me your book. I'm an elder in the Presbyterian Church up here in New Brunswick, Presbytery. I finished reading your book last night, and I had to come down here to look you over today. And he was here, and he was tremendously thrilled. He says, Dr. McIntyre, I got one of the greatest blessings of my life being in your communion service this morning. I was an elder from up here in New Brunswick, Presbytery. Some of you dear people went out the Sunday before the General Assembly met. You went around here to try to get these books into the hands of Presbyterians. And some of you went out and had direct confrontation, direct contact with these people. May I read you a letter that came in here just the other day? Moorestown, New Jersey. Dear Dr. McIntyre, thank you for my copy of The Death of a Church, which was given to me as I left church in Moorestown two weeks ago. Since I agree with most of what you have written and feel the new confession is weakening the Presbyterian basic structure and the Christian faith, I'm enclosing a check for $10 to help cover the cost of the books given away. I hope they are being read and thought about. I shall pass my copy on. Sincerely yours. Now, I don't know who did this, but if somebody hadn't gone over to Morristown and they took them, I think you gave two or three hundred out over there. Somebody hadn't gone over there and put these in the hands of this dear lady, you wouldn't have got this beautiful letter. And here she's been raised and she comes back with a $10 contribution. And we've got to do everything we can. And beloved, I want to raise enough money in the next few days to pay for full page ads in these Philadelphia papers and if I can get enough money I'll put them in the Pittsburgh papers and when we get uh, get the ads all fixed up and get them published we'll get people to put them in the little county papers we'll get people to put them all over this country they'll just put them in we're going to make up this ad and tell this story and get this thing across to the country and I'm in favor of using every lawful proper means at our hands to reach these people and tell them what has happened in this very day at least they will be without excuse when we get a chance to tell them in that day when they come to meet our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now so far as the general public is concerned there's one phrase in that confession that seems to have caught the ear and the eyes of men at large and it also seems to have struck fire and it is that phrase in the New Confession that speaks of at risk to national security. At risk to national security. 
Those of you who have your little books with you tonight, it's on page 190. 190. And may I begin reading now with line 400. 400. Those of you who don't have the books, you ought to have one. The church in its own life is called to practice the forgiveness of enemies and to commend to the nations as practical politics the search for cooperation and peace. This requires, I'm telling you what you've got to do now, the pursuit of fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict, every line of conflict, even at risk to national security, to reduce areas of strife and to broaden international understanding. Reconciliation among nations becomes peculiarly urgent as countries develop nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, diversifying their manpower and resources, or diverting it is, their manpower and their resources from constructive uses and risking the annihilation of mankind. Now, isn't that interesting? They don't know what the Bible teaches or they wouldn't write that. <laughs> they don't know what the Bible teaches. Mankind's not going to be annihilated, beloved. Don't let anybody tell you that that's going to happen. The Lord's going to come and take us away. But here it is. Be afraid of being annihilated. Be afraid of being annihilated. Be afraid of being the whole human race is going to be annihilated. We're taking a risk and we've got to be careful about the annihilation of mankind. Listen to this 46th Psalm. God is our refuge. We will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. And I'm trying to preach every day of my life. Trust God. Believe in God. Honor God. Keep His commandments. Stand up for His truth. Don't be ashamed of His righteousness. Trust in God. Don't be afraid of all this annihilation of mankind. They preach fear in this new confession. That's what they're preaching in this new confession. But notice they say here, the church in its own life is called to practice the forgiveness of enemies. I wish they had tried to forgive Dr. McIntyre. Look at that. The forgiveness of their enemies. My oh my, they haven't even suggested the idea. And to command to the nations is practical politics. They're really going to get into practical politics now. The search for cooperation and peace. This requires the pursuit of fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict. Now, beloved. Now, beloved when they had their meeting of the General Assembly and I preached it last Sunday night, as soon as they got this thing out of the way, they brought in all this pronouncement on church and society and, and they adopted this letter that they've directed to be read in all the churches next Sunday morning all over the country in which they tell us that we've got to stop our bombing in Vietnam and they follow the communist line in that letter just as clearly as anything can be followed. It's there. Fear, the same line we're talking about. And then they adopted a pronouncement on Red China. And we've got to have understanding with Red China now. We must recognize her, bring her in the United States. We've got to increase our trade with her. It's all there. 
And this is a part of uh, new and uh, creative endeavors. We've got to get all these new and uh, uh, fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict. But did you know, beloved, right alongside of the one they adopted on Red China, saying we must trade with Red China, they adopted one on South Africa and Rhodesia and said we shouldn't trade with them. And they adopted one on Africa, South Africa, and Rhodesia, and they said that we shouldn't buy any more of their gold or their uranium. We shouldn't buy all these things that they have down there. We should launch a boycott of South Africa. And, and if they're going to go across every line of conflict, I should think if they were consistent, they'd say, let's trade with Rhodesia, let's trade with South Africa, let's do with them, whether you like it on this side or that side, we've got to have all these new and fresh relations. No, beloved, it's only with the communist world that they're getting this line. This other kind of world, they don't like it, so they don't follow it at that point. Now, when it comes to this letter that they're going to read on Sunday, at least they're supposed to read it, and I'm going to be am anxious to see what's going to actually happen. We read, now this is supposed to be read in all these Presbyterian pulpits next Sunday under the direction of the General Assembly. We understand this declaration of conscience to be required of us by our confession of 1967. Quote, the search for cooperation and peace. Well, now this is all about Vietnam. We're to de-escalate, we're to stop the bombing, and we're to take the initiative and just stop, show our good faith. The search for cooperation and peace requires the pursuit of fresh and responsible relations across every line of conflict, even at risk to national security. Now they're going to read that from hundreds of Presbyterian pulpits next Sunday morning. That's what they're going to read. Now I want to develop this thought for you and I want you to see it. I want you to understand what's in it so you'll be able to talk intelligently about it when these matters are raised. Some of our secular papers have already begun to take the matter up. And uh, down here in San Antonio, Texas, they have a paper called The Express. They came out with a leading editorial, Presbyterian's New Creed Needlessly Invites Disloyalty. So here's your secular newspaper saying that the creed needlessly invites disloyalty. Well, I think it does too, but it goes further than that. Now listen to this. Among the most violent movements in history are those whose professions include the promotion of brotherly love. Church history is rife with controversy, clothed in piety, and the history is still being made. Isn't that good? Brotherly love, piousness got their thrust in there. In fact, I tell you, after I've written this book, The Death of the Church, if they follow through with this creed like they're going some of these days, somebody's going to write a book on the death of a nation. That's what's going to come out of all that. Therefore, United Presbyterians would do well to think over their newly changed creed that obliges them to pursue peace even at risk to national security. And then it goes on down a little further and has this to say, were it not for the fact that some clerics are in the lead of the so-called civil disobedience programs, 
the further loosening of moral and legal restraint would be less shocking. Civil disobedience and disregard for the nation's security are just too much. So this newspaper says it's too much for them to take. Well, if it's too much for the newspaper to take, don't you think it ought to be too much for a lot of Presbyterians to take? At risk to national security. Now, I'm just going to call your attention to this, but the communist worker came out this week, and here it is, Presbyterian Assembly urges end to bombing. Here's the communist publication in this country. Nobody denies it's communist. They'd all admit that. And then they go ahead and let me read you how the communists have written this thing up. Portland, Oregon. The 179th General Assembly of the United Presbyterian Church last week adopted the Confession of 1967, which places an obligation on all the 3,300,000 members of the church to work for racial integration, peace, and the elimination of poverty. The assembly also adopted a declaration of conscience toward the war in Vietnam. It urged that the government consider secession of bombing as one tangible evidence of our desire to negotiate. And then it moves on down, discusses these other things, brings up this whole question of at risk to national security. In the first effort to amend the new confession, the Washington group attempted to delete, Washington, D.C., attempted to delete a section that called for the struggle for peace to be waged even at the risk of national security. Even at the risk to national security. So the communists pick up that they want to de-escalate and stop the bombing, and the communists pick up even at risk to national security, and there it is. Beloved, the communists know what's going on. They recognize these things. Fantastic. All I can say to you, dear Presbyterians, and the rest of you tonight, I thank God I'm not connected with it. And I thank God I'm in a position now to alert people and to use this pulpit and to use everything that you and I stand for in this church to try to speak to our fellow countrymen about what's involved in what they are now proposing and the way in which they're now leading. But I can assure you, beloved, that we have a terrific struggle ahead of us. Now, what is meant by this phrase, to, at risk to national security? Well, they go a little further here, and may I read? This is in the New Creed. Uh, this is line number 1411. Although nations may serve God's purposes in history, the church which identifies the sovereignty of any one nation or any one way of life with the cause of God, denies the lordship of Christ and betrays its cause. Now, beloved, there is a sense, a very glorious sense, in which those of us put our loyalty to God above our loyalty to our country. And if our country were to command us to bow down and worship idols, we would refuse to do so in obedience to God. And that thought is just touched on here. But they're bringing that thought in now in support of the appeal to take a risk for your national security. And then they speak about any one way of life. Beloved, the way of life which we have in this country, which was developed by our pilgrims and our Protestants 
and our Puritans, the way of life, which said that you only had one wife and you couldn't have two of them, and the way of life, which said that you should not murder and you shouldn't steal and protected the property system, which we now have, all of that came out of the Bible. And our fathers gave to us a free society in which we are free to worship God. And the state, the political powers which we now have, are there to protect that liberty for you and me. And when the communists are threatening it, and my government is standing up against the communists, I'm going to support my government in that action because Jesus is my Lord. And they have reversed the thing. They have completely reversed it. Because Jesus is your Lord, you must take a risk with your national security in dealing with Vietnam. And you must take a risk with your national security in dealing with Red China. And you must take a risk with your national security in dealing with Moscow. You must take a risk in dealing with these forces and these powers of evil which are out here determined to destroy the freedom which you and I enjoy. And in this area, there's a very close relationship between loyalty to God and loyalty to your country. And there's a very close relationship between being a child of God and also being a good patriot. And that's why in this same area you get all this attack against the patriots and we're a super patriot or whatever kind of patriot they want to talk about. But they come along and they deny, they attack the patriotistic, the patriotism of good God-fearing Christians who don't want to see the enemies of freedom triumph in our land. And we don't want to see the enemies of freedom triumph in our land because we want to live in a country where we can serve God and where we can worship God. And beloved, when we go down there to McKemmy's Monument three weeks from now, the first Sunday in July, I want to call every last one of you to make any sacrifice you can to go down there where these three men, where this one man landed and started the preaching of the word as I'm preaching it here to you people tonight. Now down in Washington, D.C., some Presbyterians have already left the churches. And here was a headline, Peril to Security Job Scene in Presbyterian Confession." Because of this phrase. And so the Washington Presbytery sent it over to the General Assembly. Take it out! Take it out! You've adopted the creed. Take it out! Well, they voted the whole thing down and they did nothing about it. And they had some sort of a letter from some underling, some assistant secretary in the Defense Department to the effect that this wouldn't affect the security clearance of any particular individual. I think it ought to. I really do. I really do. That wasn't put in there just as an idle phrase. That was put in there to give comfort and to give justification to people who wanted to operate in these areas. And it's there for their benefit. I don't hesitate to say it. But beloved, may I go a step further? Now they're coming along and say, well, it doesn't apply to individuals. It's just the whole church speaking to the nation that we should take the rest. Well, then the whole church is guilty, not just an individual. The whole church is guilty. And if the whole church is guilty, then you dear Christians listening to this preacher here tonight, 
For God's sake, don't support it and don't be a part of it because this is the sort of thing that will undermine the independence and the security of the greatest nation on the face of the earth tonight and you're a citizen of it. At risk to national security. I want to say to you young boys in my church, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, you go out and fight for your country. And if you're called to go to the colors by the authorities of our land, you go. And don't you be like this ridiculous prize fighter we got around here. You get up and go and be proud of it. You serve your country. And furthermore, you go out there and you go into the armed services and you fear God and you trust God and you live a clean life, an honorable life, and don't get mixed up with all the filth that's attendant and you witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in that service. I want the young men from the Bible Presbyterian churches to be the best soldiers the country has. And I want to be proud of them because they fear God. We will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And this is the kind of warriors and patriots that this country produced from Presbyterian pulpits at the time of the Revolutionary War. And we had men like that in those days because we had preachers in the pulpits that were holding up such great ideals as I've given you here tonight. I was pleased this week to see one of these posts, one of these uh, tallies, you know, they take them all the time, the politicians pay attention to them that an increasing number of the American people are now in favor of actually winning that war. They're in favor. I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see it. The road to peace is not risking our national security. The road to peace is protecting our national security. That's the road. And that's the basis of this great moral standard to which we're committed. You know, this week I got something that was very interesting. I thought you'd be interested in it tonight as I bring this message to a close. Uh, the communists know all about these things. Paul Voronoff, who's quite an authority, translates these communist things for me all the time, sends them to me. Sent me a cartoon of Carl McIntyre taken from a communist publication in Russia. Would you like to know how I look in Russia? Well, I showed it to my wife, and she didn't recognize me. But here it is. Here's the book. Here's the cover of the book right here. It's a paperback book published in Moscow, published by the government, Soviet government press. The name of the book is The American Records. R-E-C-O-R-D-S, American Records. It's written here, designed to be an expose of America and the American way of life. And on page 19, you have this cartoon by the Soviet artist, and here it is. Here I am. The crusading radio priest, the, quote, undash reverend Carl McIntyre. The radio preachers against communism, the unfrocked priest crusading against communism, dash McIntyre. So I have on the robes of a priest. I got a skirt on. I don't got buttons up the front. I've got a blouse on that looks like a miniskirt, comes down part way. Got little lines in it here. It's got great big baggy sleeves here, opened up here. I've got both my arms outstretched. I've got an immense club in my hand. I'm bald-headed. 
I have a little fringe of hair left around here. I've got big, dark, black eyebrows that are spitting out here. got a nose that looks like a Halloween function. I've got big wrinkles in my face. I've got my mouth wide open, and out of my mouth is a, is a snake coming. Let's see. Yes, got his head open, tongue out. And then coming out of my sleeve of my right arm is another snake, and he's got his fangs out. And here is this unreverend, unfrocked priest crusading against communism. And when the communist, and this book is put out here, published by the communist government, and it's put out by the Young Communist League in Moscow. And there it is. There it is. And here I stand tonight fighting at risk to national security. And I'm fighting it right here in the Presbyterian Church. And I'm fighting it right here to get across to you people. And a lot of you people have been turned, oh, don't listen to this fellow McIntyre. He's always carrying on like that. That's right, he always is. Don't you listen to that fellow McIntyre. And beloved, I want to say to you people tonight, every single one of you that listen to this sermon, they have a confession of faith now. It's a confession of 67. And it's required of them that they take risks. And they're going to read it from the pulpits next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning. I'd like to go around next Sunday morning and see how many people walk out of these churches. I really would like to see how many people are going to walk out of these churches. But I know that there's a great gap between this church hierarchy and the powers they have to put this thing in and thousands of people sitting out here in these pews. They're still here. And they don't know what's going on. And it's your business and my business who have been informed. And may I say to you, dear people tonight, you ought to thank God you've got a preacher in your pulpit who'll use his pulpit to speak of these things and inform you saints. You need to know these things. And when you know them and we know them, then we should take the initiative and we should do what's necessary and we should spend the money that we have. We should do these things to try to alert our fellow Christians and our neighbors around about us and let them know that we believe that a church is dead. It's dead. It died. And the spirit of revolution is behind it, which will, before we're finished, bring about the death of a nation. That's what it'll do to us. So I'm ready to go out. I'm ready to make a fool out of myself for Christ's sake. I'm willing to do anything that's necessary. I assure you, beloved, I'm willing to do anything. And here we are right here in Collingswood, New Jersey, five miles from the place where they first organized. Go on down to the Delaware, if you will. Just go on down to Newcastle and right on down a little ways. And here's where these dear men came. Just think, Francis McKemmy came over here from Scotland started preaching. And uh, Asbury, Francis Asbury came over too. And they were both down there in the same area. And Francis Asbury held the first Methodist communion service ever held in the New World right down there where we're going on, on December, or rather on, uh, on July the 2nd. We're going down there on July the 2nd for this great meeting. And I want everybody within the sound of my voice we're going to go and we're going to let everybody see that we believe this old faith and no power on this earth is going to take it away from us. And then you go down to Cape May, if you will, the little Cold Springs church down there that we go over to the cemetery. It's one of the oldest churches. And you know who was their first preacher down there? This man, Boyd. 
that they ordained. The first meeting of the Presbytery, 1706. They ordained this young preacher, Boyd. 1714, the little church in Cape May was started. And we're in the midst of it. We're right here where it all happened 200 years ago. This is the heart of things. And if we're not going to do something about it, if we're not going to lift up our voices, if we're not going to build a church, if we're not going to plead with men to come to Christ and be saved, if we're not going to stand, who's going to die? We have the obligation to do it tonight. Oh, how much longer we have, only God knows. God is our refuge. My, what a refuge he is. And when you run to him, and he's our strength. Oh, the strength that comes out of this God that enables us to carry on our witness. Therefore will we not fear. Let's not be afraid. Let them yell, let them scream, let them holler, let them try to shake us, let them try to make us fear. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. There is a river, the streams are out, shall make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We had a number join the church, and we had 18 people come in the church this morning. We had people come in this church out of the Lutheran church. Several families left the Lutheran church because of the National Council of Churches. We had Presbyterians come in here. We heard a lady on Friday night testify in church and report to us back there in the session that she went over to a Presbyterian church and when this new creed came out and the preacher got up to defend it she left it and never went back again she came over and joined here where she belongs there has to be a realignment there has to be action you people are going to have to do something now let's pray that God will give us I don't know where we're going to get the money. We need so much everywhere. We need so much for our radio right now. We need so much. I don't know where we're going to get the money, but I'm going to ask the Lord to give it to me so we can put big ads in the Philadelphia papers and, if possible, the Pittsburgh papers. Here's the great center of all this Presbyterian background right through this area. And we'll tell this story. And we'll see what God does for us. Oh, gracious God, come down again. Spare us. Why should we be the ones left in this day like we are so much alone? Why should we be the ones to have to go through these experiences? But if that's what God has called us to do, we shall do it with great rejoicing. And we shall do it with great confidence and great assurance. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for this message dealing with these mighty matters. And we thank Thee for all the folks who heard it, the broadcast ministry tonight. Father, give us what we need to put the ads in the papers now. Give us what we need to have these great meetings when this hearse comes by. Bless the boys this week as they go across the country calling the attention of everybody to the death of a church. A church which is telling us to take a risk with our national security. God forbid, O oh Lord. God forbid. And as we see the communists cartooning us and putting us in their books, oh God, protect us. Protect us. 
for Christ's sake. Amen.